the 99% of people I talk to would never do or never consider doing the work that I've actually done when I was five years old, right? <laughs> so for me, it doesn't matter. Like anything I need to do, I need to send the email. Okay, do I make need to make the cold call? I'll make the call. Like anything I need to do, I just do because nothing is worse than what I had to do, right? Like in looking backwards, right? And so I had no problem with that. The following is a conversation with Robert Indries. Robert Indries was born to a modest family in Romania and grew up on a farm. During his childhood, he worked 365 days a year because, hey, chickens got to eat. He's also traveled to over 17 different countries and learned about how business works all across the world, which has enabled him to open up an empire of eight businesses generating seven figures yearly. Here's his story. So Robert, one, want to say thank you so much for taking the time. I think you have a really unique story for someone that's been able to be so successful in business. Uh, with that being said, you actually grew up on a farm. So naturally, I feel like the first thing I have to ask you is, what was it like growing up on a farm? Um, you, when your universe is limited, you, that's the only thing you know, right? So I, I couldn't say that I had any comparison. All of my friends were living out on farms, right? So we were w walking cows together. We were, you know, digging holes in the ground together. We were um, getting the corn off the cobs together, you know, and you would do it manually with your hands, right? Like you would just do that for hours and hours to get the corn off the cobs. Um, you would make fires together. You would pick apples together. Like literally, that's just what you would do all day. You wouldn't think that there is something else. When you're so young, you don't think like that. At least I haven't. Um, I never, I, I can't remember a time where I would think of being somewhere else when I was that young. I started thinking about that. Um, I think after I was maybe nine or 10 years old, something like that, I realized that there has to be more, right? There's just more knowledge, more things to do. And I think it had to do with school because I actually enjoyed going to school. I know that's weird, a weird thing to say, but you would learn chemistry, like you would learn physics, you would learn, you know, uh, biology. And I was shocked and I don't understand why people weren't soaking in all of that precious information. But I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. And um, I would I would learn a lot. And it's interesting because I would get very good grades, but I would never study because I would literally pay so much attention at class that I could almost re-say everything the teacher said, like word for word, right? Um, and I just liked it. I, I really was paying attention. And then I would just do, you know, I would just write down whatever I remember um, the teacher saying, not me, you know, reading in a book or whatever. And so... Um, at one point, I realized, oh, there's more, there's more, right? Like, there's more to do than, I don't know, scraping, you know, the manure out of the uh, out of the shed, you know, where the cows were. Like, there's more things to do, more interesting things to do than that, right? And so that's how I got out of that. But I, until then, I wasn't thinking about it. It was just fun, you know, every day was fun. It's awesome that you were able to kind of, you know, do well in school and also learn about the world outside of farming. Uh, but I wanted to ask quickly, while you were young and kind of doing this work in the fields and hanging out with your friends, do you feel like it was more work or play from your perspective? 
I can't remember feeling work. It was play. It was you just would do what people would tell you to do, because either way you had nothing better to do. You didn't have computers back then, or at least we didn't. We didn't have TVs. We didn't have computers. We didn't have phones. Like imagine just throw out all of your technology and just try to sit, and you'll see you'll get bored out of your mind, and so you'll just naturally do something. So whether that's washing dishes, whether that's you know going to um, get milk from the cow, whether that's whatever, like you would just be naturally engaged in things around the house. You know, it's just bliss. Unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to record a podcast back in those days. So thankful to have <laughs> modern technology. Uh, but I think there's a beautiful innocence in the sense that you're doing the same activity, but you know, if you're doing it as an adult or someone who kind of understands the world a little better, you might see it as something that's a little more arduous. But when you're a young kid, you look at it, you're just out in the field having fun. You happen to be doing something productive at the same time. So I think it's really cool to sometimes, you know, even in our adult lives, approach business or approach our goals and ambitions with a childlike mindset. And, you know, obviously it's work to some extent, but also to try have, to have good faith and, you know, do it uh, with great passion to serve others. So it's a beautiful note on that. The other thing, working on a farm, what do you think the biggest lessons were that you learned from there working, you know, a very manual and tedious job? Well, there are a few things that I feel have helped me along the years. Number one is that no type of work is below me. Anything I need to do, I just do, right? The 99% of people I talk to would never do or never consider doing the work that I've actually done when I was five years old, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it doesn't matter. Like anything I need to do, I need to send the email. Okay, do I make need to make the cold call? I'll make the call. Like anything I need to do, I just do because nothing is worse than what I had to do, right? Like in looking backwards, right? And so I had no problem with that. Like you would go into the shed with the barn animals. It would smell horribly, but it, you wouldn't, Think of it as a horrible smell. You would think that that's how cows smell, right? And so on. That's it. Like, you, oh, my God, this is horrible. No. Now, when I go there and I smell, it's like, oh, my God, this is horrible. And my relatives are like, what? What? What's wrong? <laughs> and like, nothing, nothing. Sorry. It's just, yeah. just me, you know, whatever. But I, I now I can't stand that as much as or as easily as I could when it was just a day-to-day -day occurrence. So... No, no work is below me. I could do anything. Number two, I learned the value of always being engaged in something, not being idle, you know, just doing something useful. Um, when I was in my teens and early 20s, I used to play video games. And I have the nostalgia of doing that because you didn't have any worries. Like you could just play video games as much as mm -hmm. you wanted, you know. So it's not the video game itself. It's the nostalgia of you just, just being able to do whatever you want and just having a little bit of fun. But now, if I try playing video games, I tried for a few hours this year. I kid you not, I get so bored so quickly. It, it's incredible. I can't, like, I play for, like, an hour, and I'm like, I should be doing something else. Like, what, what am I doing here? You know, this piece of armor doesn't matter. You know, it's just, it's literally, you, you, you imagine that you could be spending your time so much better, right? Even if doing something mundane, like going to the gym, I kid you not, like, I have my health goals, so why am I, you know, killing pigs in a in a in a in a forest? Why am I not, you know, building my bicep, you know, or whatever? I don't know, just something else that you could be doing with that same hour. And so, uh, it gives you that 
or it gave me that perspective of always being engaged in something useful. Um, it's very difficult for me to just sit and do nothing. Uh, I know people love it. Many people do. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's painful for me. It's literally, um, I can just sit around because I can meditate. I can read. I can, you know, do things like that. Uh, but to just watch the ceiling or watch the sunset or whatever for me is like okay i'll watch it for like 10 minutes and then let's do something else <laughs> yeah you know? for sure and then the final one would be that um it really pays to help others and help the community and be ethical in what you do and be fair and so on and so forth because where where we were raised like you couldn't insult anyone like I never even heard an insult until I went to school, and even then, other people were using them. I it was still weird to me up until high school. I didn't start swearing until I was like fifteen. I started <laughs> swearing when I was fifteen, and only because everyone was doing it. It was literally a social thing. Like, you, it was almost impossible to not swear at that point. Um, I know it. I don't want to say it's impossible. I know I could have stopped myself. It was just like everyone was doing it. Natural. Exactly. And it just, you learn to respect everyone. You learn to respect everyone's time. You, you learn to respect favors. So if someone would do you a favor, you would repay that favor. It's just, you learn to work with others. You, you learn to add value with what you do, right? To, to have a conversation or like, for example, if right now an employee calls me, Robert, could you please, you know, uh, help me with your car. I need to move some things around. And so on. Of course, when? I'll be there. Let's do it, right? Or someone else called me, says, Robert, I really don't know how to do this task. You know, what's it about? Or, you know, what? how should I think about it? And I talk them through it. You know, I help them or I do it for them sometimes, you know, when they don't have time. When I realize it's not a competence issue, it's a time, like they literally do not have the bandwidth to deal with it. Many times I do it because I'm, here doing nothing like all of my businesses are self-sustainable i don't really need to do anything all day so when someone has an issue i was like hey robert could you help us with that sure i'll do that no problem and then i help them only if it's a bandwidth issue if it's uh, i don't know how to do this thing i teach them how to do okay. it because i don't want them to call me again tomorrow because again they don't know how to do it right so it's a, it's a concept in the one minute manager it's very easy to to implement uh, by ken blanchard but um, those are a few things that I've learned, you know, on the farm. One of the most beautiful things and really insightful things I think that you said was the need to serve others. And mm -hmm. I think that if you ask most successful entrepreneurs, they'll state that as kind of their main purpose for pursuing whatever venture or whatever mission that they set out to do. However, I think a big problem in modern society is that people often, you know, chase money or view goals as a very selfless thing. And I'm not saying that those people are never successful, but in my humble opinion, most of the time, if you chase that solely, your motivation is probably going to run out. You're going to have habits or have business choices that aren't sustainable. So from your perspective, why do you think that a lot of people view goals as something that's really, I don't know if self-fulfilling is the best word, but something that's, you know, very only for them, only for them to achieve when in reality, you know, when you set goals for serving others, you know, that's when really all the blessings and the wealth and everything else kind of falls into place. Um, so let's, let's look at reality, right? Because yeah. reality matters. Any, 
any conversation in in utopia or fiction you know is less yeah. helpful than than actual reality so for sure let's assume i set very selfish goals i want to be a billionaire i want to do this i want to do that very 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 selfish goals right as long as my methods of attaining those goals are in line with reality then i will still achieve them so in business, if you want to succeed in business, you succeed in business by adding value mm-hmm. through your business. Okay, so that's a fact because you're you're not going to stay in business if you don't add value to someone. You have to add value to someone, whatever stakeholder you're adding value to. Whether that's you know the unhealthy person that eats burgers at uh, you know um, at McDonald's or the you know, very healthy person that takes your nutritional supplements or whatever, like whomever you service, you're adding value to someone. And if it's B2B, it's an airport or it's a manufacturing plant or it's a financial services company, whatever, whatever it is that you're servicing. So if I have a very selfish goal, I can have a very selfish goal of making a lot of money. And so in me attaining that goal, I understand that the way to attain that goal is by having a lot of clients that I add value to, that are very happy, that bring me referrals, that you know just grow the company, make me more money, more money, more money. So if I, it doesn't matter what goals you hit, as long as uh, what goals you set for yourself, as long as what you do is in line with reality, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's in line with reality, whether they're selfish or selfless, right, uh, altruistic and so on and so forth, you can still get fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Now, so, for example, don't tell me that people such as, I don't know, I'm going to make things up. I don't want to put words in people's go, mouth. Go ahead. Feel free to use, use fake names, stories, however you see things. Real ones. Like, don't tell me that people like Bill Gates didn't want to selfishly be a billionaire, like the For richest sure. person on the planet. They selfishly wanted that, and they realized that technology will get them there, right? And so that's it. Whether it's selfish or selfless, they still took the world into a different era of everyone now having personal computers, right? If they wouldn't have existed that wouldn't have happened or someone else would have had to do that, right? But they did, so whatever, doesn't matter. Like Edison, if he wouldn't have invented the light bulb, some other genius would have done that, right? Doesn't matter. Like at one point, someone would have invented it or done it. So basically, these people have had their goals. And if you ask Bill Gates, if he feels that his life was, you know, meaningful, if he is happy with the things that he's done and so on and so forth, I believe, if because he's a very logical guy i believe that he will say yes because guess what i did more than you know 99.999% of people out there whether or not i had selfish or selfless goals right so let's let's go away from utopia and go into reality right so is it um more fulfilling to help others Yes for some, no for others. That's reality. Right? Mm-hmm. As much as we want to cut it in a million pieces, some people love to be selfish and they find gratefulness in that. Like, oh my God, I did this, I did that, whatever. Do I believe that that ultimately will make them happy? No. That's my belief. That might not be true. I don't know because I don't have all of the answers, right? We like to believe in the karmic system of movies, right? That they're they're going to get 
what's coming, you know, or whatever, you know, that saying. But I believe that eight years isn't that much time. Like you could be selfish and mean your entire life and then just die. Because like, like what's to say that you're going to get yours, right? During your lifetime. Or you might die when you're 50, you know, you'll be, and and so on. Like, well, you don't know you're dead. Like you don't know you died, right? It's just, you move on, right? And so as, as far as your physical body and physical mind is concerned, you're, you're done. And so you could have been, excuse me, an a-hole your entire life. And then you just pass, pass away. And so, what I think is important is that, um, and this is my personal opinion, again, just like anything else that I say, is that you be happy with what you do, right? And you don't harm others in that, uh, let's say, um, business um, practices. Yeah, in that engagement that you're doing, whether it's business, whether it's art or whatever else, right? So. As long as you're happy and you don't harm others, right? I think you should be fine, right? Just make sure because the worst thing you could do, the two worst things you could do is number one, do something that makes you miserable. <laughs> so don't do that. Yeah. And number two, do something that harms other people, right? Damages, makes them whatever, you know? So as long as you avoid these two things and the opposite of that is do something that makes you happy and don't harm others whilst you're doing it, you're fine, right? That's what you should, I believe, do. And so whether that's a goal of being a painter or a sculptor or a Bill Gates business mogul or an investor like Ray Dalio or whatever it is your goal is, you know, it's fine. I think it's you put it in a beautiful way. If we could all find careers that, one, we do what we love, and two, we don't harm others. And I guess if I were to add a third one, which you kind of mentioned earlier, but actually adds value to society, I think if we could... Yes. Choose something that hits all three. That would be perfect. You you will find that if you do the first two, it by default adds value. Mm-hmm. Because if you do something you like and you don't harm others, typically it adds value in some way, right? But I do agree. If you add the third one, you know that's that's even better, uh, an even better, let's say, value system. Yeah, definitely golden. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you said how someone could die at eighty, someone could die at fifty. You know, they could have act a certain way throughout their lives. You know, uh. Kind of interesting or high-level thought I had recently. Um, so you hear of a lot of people, unfortunately, getting terminal diseases at a young age. You know, we can get into the whole why this, why that. I'm not a medical expert or a religious expert, so I won't get into that. Um, but if you think about it, no way, we're all terminal. You know, like we all leave this earth, uh, earth eventually. So uh, it's good that we need to try to make an impact. And I like how you said earlier, whether we're selfless or selfish, at some point or another, everyone realizes that succeeding in business, succeeding in life is about adding value to others. And that's really how you make it. So definitely a beautiful point on there. Um, Another really cool aspect or interesting part of your story is that you've been able to travel specifically in over 17 countries and over 100,000 miles. And I believe in reading some of your blogs, you said that you were able to learn a lot of common mistakes that a lot of business folks make. So what are some of the things you're able to learn from doing all your traveling? Well, some... um common mistakes that I see almost anywhere you go is people believe that, you know, um, running a business will make you more money, mm-hmm. which is false. It's just by default, I can tell you it's not true, right? And I can factually prove that it's not true. Um, 96% of businesses never pass a million dollars. And I'm not saying a million dollars in profit. I'm saying a million dollars in revenue. So with that revenue, you need to pay staff and you know, overhead and taxes and everything else. And maybe you'll be left with 50K if you're lucky. 
you know, at the end of it, 5% of the top line. So um, when you look at it from that perspective, again, this is 96%. So only the, the top 4% of businesses pass, you know, a uh, million dollars. And again, passing a million dollars doesn't guarantee you make a lot of money. You can get a job that pays just as much or more with, you know, five times less stress, not, not, no exaggeration, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is fundamentally wrong. And that's, that's, that's a problem. People go into entrepreneurship not because they have entrepreneurial visionary value to add, but because they want to make more money. And that's flawed. Right, I don't, I don't like that concept. I never have. If you want to be an engineer and you're an amazing engineer, just grow in your engineering career up until like you can, you know, I don't know, build rockets for SpaceX and make four hundred grand a year. Right? Yes, half of that goes to taxes, but guess what? All of our money goes to taxes. Like, it's not like you can escape that, you know, or whatever. What you can do is set up a company in Romania, for example, which where you have 0% income tax, and then bill SpaceX from Romania, you know, as an entity. The only issue with that is um, that you need to, you know, be friends with Elon or something, you know, to pull something like that off. Because otherwise, you, like, you can't really mm -hmm. negotiate with HR if it's such a huge company, right? However, you will find that as time progresses, as globalization becomes even more mainstream everywhere, this is just normal because almost everyone hires on contracts. And so whether you have a contract with a domestic entity or with a foreign entity, it doesn't matter to you because you still work with the same person, right? And so you can wire the money anywhere. I can't tell you how many people in the last year have come and told me, Robert, do you mind if we change the business entity? I set up something in Dubai or I set up something somewhere right? Why? Because all of a sudden, when I send them $10,000, they keep all of it instead of keeping <laughs> half of it, right? And so why wouldn't they, right? It costs them $6,000 to set up in Dubai, which in Romania, by the way, it's cost a hundred bucks. So it costs 60 times less. <laughs> so, but they, they, they set up in Dubai and then they uh, pay $6,000 and then they save, I don't know, 50 grand a year in taxes because they can have a card a business card and they can use that card anywhere they want to, right? And then just spend their money in any country they they want to spend it in. So these are just some things that are are factual, right? If you're very very good at design, be the best designer. If you're a very good content writer or you know whatever it is you are, whatever you like doing, just do more of that, right? Like make it so that you can enjoy your life again and add value as we've discussed. Don't think that building a business is the solution to all of your problems because it definitely isn't. It can create so many more problems than solutions. For sure. Running your own thing is uh, definitely a tough task. And I think if people go in for it only looking for the money, I think they'll quickly find that it's unsustainable. Uh, another funny thing to point out, I love you know some of the things you mentioned about Romania and the business-friendly environment and kind of it seems like the mini pitches to Elon. So uh, Elon, I don't know if you have anything set up in Romania, but uh, if you want to set something up, definitely hit up Robert. Maybe he can, <laughs> he can help you set something mm -hmm. up. So would uh, be funny if you would tweet this out. Like, hey, you know, Daniel just said this. Robert, let's have a chat. You know? <laughs> and then he's, uh, he's known to do a lot of things. And Elon yeah, exactly. has done a lot. But, um, you know, on a personal note, speaking of kind of managing businesses, and I'm sure you'd be happy to kind of help Elon manage his, you right now manage over eight different businesses. 
Yeah. How do you do it, man? I know uh, you say they're self-sustaining, but I'm sure it's not easy to be the head of eight different beasts. Um, it's only not easy if you didn't set them up correctly. So um, what we do is we have very specific methodologies uh, that we implement in any business that we start. Um, I have a holding company that has um, uh, business administrators. And so we have people doing finances, doing contracts, doing HR, doing anything that we need done, right? It's all in the admin company. And we used to use that only for us up until like a year ago. And a year ago, I I had a conversation with a friend that was churning COOs one or two a year because yeah. like no one could manage, you know, his business or businesses because he has two. And at one point, you know, I was like, dude, like you're you're trying so hard. Let me just rent out my team and see if you like it, right? So for the price of a COO, don't pay another CEO. Just pay my team and then they'll do the work. And guess what? Like they made him so much money and saved so much time and so on and so forth. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe how valuable this is. So then because of that, we're like, okay, well, let's do this for others as well, right? So basically what we do now, um, instead of tell people how they should run their business, we just say, we know how to run business. You just do whatever you want to do, right? And we will make sure your businesses run smoothly, right? And then they just grow and grow and grow because all of a sudden they have no more uh, operational bottlenecks. Everything just works for them. So um, if I would to not follow my principles, it would be difficult. Uh, however, I do have the principles that we have. So for example, let's make sure a question isn't asked twice, right? So once someone asks a question, you never answer the question. Because if you answer the question, that means there, someone else will, will have the same question. Mm-hmm. Instead of answering the question, write the documentation so that for this specific instance, for in this specific scenario, anyone else in the future, if they have the exact same question, they can check the documentation and then um, take it from there. They don't ask, they don't need to ask the question again. They just find the answers in the SOPs, right? So that's one principle that we have. Uh, another principle that we have is that you never come to a manager with um, with issues. You can only come to a manager with context and solutions, right? Context is this client is upset because X, Y, Z. The solution is we can do this or this or this. And so I think we should, and in this order, and I believe either this or this or this in this order. And then the manager says, like, gives them feedback because the manager might be more senior and they might know things that that person doesn't. And so they might come up with a combination of their solutions or a fourth solution or whatever. But all of a sudden, you're training every single person in the organization to think for themselves, to come up with solutions. Don't come to me with challenges. Come to me with context and solutions, right? And now all of a sudden, at one point, they would just say, you know, what would Robert do? Like, what would Robert say? And then they literally come up with the same things and then they just work themselves, right? You don't need to help them. Many times what I do, final thing I'm going to say, is someone sent me a screenshot. It's like, oh gosh, look at what happened. And in most cases, people expect you to do something, right? Because that's why people send a screenshot. And I just say, thank you for the FYI. And I leave it and I don't say anything. Thank you for the FYI. And then they understand that, oh, I, I actually need to deal with this, <laughs> right? That. I I, know, I have it in me to deal with this properly, so I don't need to, you know, uh, ask Robert again. 
You know, I think one of the things that you said was really interesting regarding, you know, making documentation when something goes wrong. I think a lot of times people, especially early on, I think this is definitely a skill that's more learned in entrepreneurship than something you just kind of have. Uh, but essentially, when someone has some issue, I think a lot of folks are quick to answer the question. But I like what you said before, when someone has, you know, when someone has an issue or someone has a question, instead of answering it right away, you capture whatever that issue is and you document it specifically when X event occurs, do, you know, Y, Z and whatever sort of letters. I think that's a more mature business mindset to have uh, because essentially what you're doing is instead of taking care, you know, instead of doing something short term uh, satisfaction, you're kind of putting in some time to put together a solution, which is going to, you can't see right away, but it's going to save you a ton of time down the line when you know that 30 or 40 other people are going to have the same issue. So I definitely agree with you on that. Um, you know, another thing that I wanted to get into, and I thought was really interesting about your story is that, uh, at least when you were younger, I'm not sure you're doing as much now, but you said you used to work 365 days a year, holidays, no matter what, you know, chicken need to be fed, farm always have, the farm always has work. So how are you able to work 365 days? I mean, do you ever get tired or how are you able to get through that? Um, it's, it's so enjoyable. I wish everyone that's listening to this podcast enjoy their life so much that they can be on, on, on 365 a year because it's so enjoyable. It feeds your soul. It just, it's everything you wanted from life uh, or everything you dream of life because no one dreams of being on a perpetual vacation. That's false because the moment you go there, you'll see after a week, two weeks, a month. I mean, how much could you just, watch the same sunset and just not do anything you are going to naturally want to create whether you create blog articles about how you feel or you start journaling or you start painting or you start coding or learning something something you're gonna do with your time you're not going to just sit no one does that that's a, a utopic thing like people imagine but when i go on vacation i can't wait to get back home <laughs> I love the vacation. I really love it and I enjoy it at the moment. But I kid you not, after like seven days, my wife turns to me and is like, we've had enough of this, right? We should go home. I'm like, yes, I know, right? Like, let's just go home, you know, because we don't enjoy vacations more than we enjoy our life. And again, we enjoy it. It's so much better. Our life is so much better than any trip we can go in any place on the planet. And I wish this upon everyone that's listening to this, right? I wish they could have a life by design. They can. They can, by the way. It's not utopic. This isn't utopic. You can create this. And if you have any questions, you can send them my way and I, I'd be glad to answer. But basically, you can build a life that you don't need a vacation from, right? And so that's something that we really believe, my wife and I, and we just live to that every day. On a deeper level, do you think that people that, you know, everyone enjoys vacations, but people that, at least I hope everyone enjoys vacations, but do you think that people that overly enjoy vacations are not doing the right thing with their lives or not fulfilling their purpose? There, there are a few things there. So there are people that um, are using energy when they're working. They're using a lot of energy and a lot of mental power and they're pushing themselves and so on and so forth. There are people like that. They're, they're incredibly intense, right? Like very, very, very intense when, when they work. And so when they're so intense when they work, 
they're very intense for like three weeks or two months or whatever whatever stamina they have. And then they take two weeks off. And then they're very intense in taking off, right? They're like partying all the time. They eat whatever they want. They, you know, whatever it is they want, they just do anything they want for like two weeks. They deserve it. And then they're back to work incredibly intensely. I see no problem with that, right? They, they see that's how they are. I love being intense as well. I love, and many people have called me intense, like many times. Like, for example, if we go to my in-laws and they say, oh, well, we need this ditch, you know, uh, dug. I just get it done. Like I go out, give me the tools, I'll get it done. And I kid you not, from the morning at, 8 a.m. or whatever until 4 p.m. I'm not done until the ditch is done, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I just keep digging and digging and digging. Everyone, like, comes for an hour, then takes a break, then comes for another hour, then takes a break, whatever. Like, they just do that. I'm there constantly until the, the ditch is done. And I don't do it because I have any, anything to prove to anyone. I just like doing things. Like, what else am I going to do? Either way, this dish needs to be done. If I take a break now, it's not going to help. Let me just keep doing it. Boom, boom, boom. And I just hit the ground. I hit the ground. Hit the ground a million times until you have the entire ditch. And I, the only reason I remember this so vividly is because it was like a couple months ago. My in-laws said, oh, well, we need a ditch. And they're expecting it to take like three days. I kid you, eight hours later, it was done. You know, the entire ditch like they had everything they needed because I just didn't stop digging. You know, I just dug for like eight hours straight. And it's it's intense, you know, and, and many people would, would not find that relatable, right? They're like, hey, take a break, don't be so intense and so on. I'm like, why not? Why not? Like, just because you don't want to be intense doesn't mean that I don't enjoy it. I enjoy it. Like, why would I do something, you know, half-assed, excuse my French? Like, why wouldn't I just go all in and do the best thing I'm capable of in this specific task, right? And so I don't see a problem with taking very intense vacations and enjoying them and so on. I love vacations, again. Um, it's just I get bored of them very quickly. Like after a week, I'm already like, I want to I wanna, I wanna go back. <laughs> yeah, I love the way you put that when you said you were digging the ditch, you know, it was for you. Obviously, I mean, literally it was a public service to, to make the ditch, but... You said, I didn't care what they thought. I just wanted to get it done. And I think it's a beautiful way of kind of looking at tasks, looking at life, just kind of getting stuff done and you know being happy that you accomplished it. Yes. Uh, but one of the things that you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, even if you got tired, you try to kind of push through and be very intense. Uh, but on a practical level, you know, we all get tired. So do you have any personal productivity hacks or any hacks that you do when you get tired to kind of snap back into it? Um, so... You can get tired for many reasons, right? The main reason people get tired um, nowadays is that, I mean, all the time in, in history, is that they're done doing, they are not doing something that's fulfilling for them or enjoyable. Because no one, when you're like, whatever, 15 and playing World of Warcraft, no one had to come and tell you, you know, uh, to do more of that. Like you, you're, you'll start playing at 3 p.m. and end it at 3 a.m. Like you would play for 12 hours straight, you even forget to eat because you enjoyed it, right? And so you never had a problem with that. And so with work, the issue is that you get tired because you're not enjoying yourself. So learn to enjoy, right? Whatever it is that you're doing. And if it's doing the books, like financially, you know, like crunching numbers and so on and so forth, because you're an accountant, you love that. If, if it's very demanding for you, I don't know, put some good music, 
have some nice tea, you know, I almost always have, you know, something to drink alongside me, right? So just enjoy something and then just do it. For example, when I would need to do very, I don't know how to say, like uh, tasks that require a lot, a lot of time and energy, mental focus and concentration, I kid you not, I would put my laptop somewhere on something that's taller, not my desk so that I stand and I would put myself the the weirdest music like you could ever heard. It's like this intense, you know, gaming music. I can't even mimic it because it would just sound awkward, but it, very intense. And I just dance. I, I jump around, you know, and so on. I literally, and I then I type, but I type aggressively. I don't know how to explain. It's like I'm almost fighting the keyboard. I type it out. I do everything that I need to do. And then I take a break because there's an, a cool part in the song. And then I just jump around again. You know, I, I play around a little bit. And then I keep I, I get back. I, I get another idea. And so I can do that for two hours. I burn a thousand calories and I get the work done, right? And by the end of it, I'm like, oh, that was great. I loved it, right? And so, again, find ways to enjoy it. Uh, whatever it is that you're doing, however you can. And then you will see that you can do it for almost forever, almost forever. You can just keep doing it. Like you could start at 4 a.m., true story, and then finish at 12 midnight and then go to bed happy, right? Because I've worked all day. I've done that so many times, countless times. My wife was shocked when we first started, you know, sleeping in the same house and so on. Like I would just wake up at four, go to work. She would wake up and like, where are you? I would be working and I would still be working that same day midnight right? Because I would love it. I, I would just enjoy it so much. I'm like, how can you work so much? Like, I can't. I, I couldn't. Yes, you could if you would find something you like doing. You would do it all day. You wouldn't mind, right? Because you would get paid to do something you love. And you know, the more you work, the more you get paid. And so it, it's it's good in every way, right? It's like just, it, it's, it's an amazingly rewarding experience, basically. I love the self-fulfilling kind of ending prophecy there, but also I'm relieved to hear about the specific thing that you said, because I personally happen to do the same thing. Uh, haven't personally recorded myself doing it, but for example, you know, last night I've been working a lot on my editing skills just to give you a practical example uh, for, you know, a clip I want to publish for an earlier episode. Uh, and I happen to, you know, you could probably uh, resonate with this, but sometimes you just have those nights where creativity is flowing and flowing and well, the practical thing to do would be to go to sleep. You're like, I just can't waste this, this creative genius in the moment. So I yeah. uh, ended up being up till 4 a.m. last night, just editing this video. And um, I think I woke up today something like 9 a.m. local time. So I've got four or five hours of sleep. Not the most sustainable thing. Definitely won't do that every single day. Um, but actually, as you can attest to just, you know, as we were talking off air, I was just blasting, listening to music, getting excited yeah. to shoot another episode. Uh, so fortunate exactly. to, to have a job to do what I love doing. But I definitely agree with you on the like that, you know, if you really enjoy doing something, you know, you almost approach it with like a childlike enthusiasm, you know, and you can really do do what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And no one has to tell you to do more. No one has to be there to say, oh, you need to, you know, fight or do another quest. You need to do this. You need to do what? Like no one does that. Like you need to do another round of whatever people play nowadays, uh, Fortnite or I don't know, exactly. something, you know? Like no one has to tell the child to do that. Like they, they just the the, the round ends. They are just clicking the button. They can't click the button fast enough to get into the next game, right? So that's how excited you could be about your work that 
actually makes you money, right? Or whatever type of fulfillment you're looking for. I agree. Definitely uh, something I think I found with this and something that I hope people can find moving forward. Um, another thing that you said that was really interesting, actually an Instagram reel that you had, you mentioned the need to make decisions based off data. So I actually have an interesting thought or opinion of this. I definitely think data-based decisions are important and help us move forward. But I also think there's a part of craft when you do something, or sorry, there's a part of art when you do something in the sense of intuition. So in your business, in your life, and if you were advising someone, how would you advise them to make decisions based off data and to make decisions based off intuition? So you can, you can say that something doesn't feel right, right? Uh, towards a person, towards a decision, towards something. So when when you get that gut feeling, you analyze it. You don't you don't leave it at the intuition side. You take the data points. You have why does this not feel right? Why? What am I feeling? And you go into yourself. It's more like a meditation or journaling or whatever. But you still reach data points. You still reach something like I believe Daniel isn't saying the truth or i believe this isn't inaccurate or i believe something you know i don't know like you you just say like what what about this is off number two then or, or uh number two in terms of not people but let's say other types of decisions like should be pivot in this direction or whatever okay why am i scared to pivot in this direction what happens if i pivot right and so on and you get that down so when I tell people you need to make database decisions, some decisions very easy to make database because you have the marketing insights that you spend this much, you made this much on three campaigns. Obviously, one performs better than the others. Then you just take the budget off of those two and put it in the third one and see if it scales. If it doesn't scale, you try a fourth one, fifth one. And so it's just database, very easy to run your business based on that. When it comes to other types of decisions that you need to take, you can say, okay, well, if I don't trust Daniel because of these three things, mm -hmm. let me then hop on another conversation with him and be transparent. Daniel, you said this and this, and I believe these two things are conflicting because I don't understand how they can both be true at the same time. Could you please explain? And you get data. You get the data that you need to then make a decision. So gut feelings are things that you did not yet get on paper. Mm -hmm. you you should i believe i mean you don't have to but if you want to be very analytical and not regret your decisions <laughs> typically re decisions you regret are impulse decisions right mm -hmm. you you typically don't regret the decisions that you talk you think through thoroughly right and so if you want to minimize risk in your business you think things through thoroughly and what that means if you have a gut feeling about we shouldn't do this we should do this you go in that direction and then you see how that pans out. Got it. So, you know, obviously high level, it's good to take part in data or data analysis to kind of make better decisions based off that. But even when we have that intuitive feeling regarding something, we should always try to take some kind of an analytical look at it or think through it a little bit uh, and then determine if it's the best way to move forward. Is that what you were trying to get at? Yes, because you might, the, the reticency might be fear or hesitancy in some way. Right. And you need to understand, am I fearful because I am changing? I'm not going to be the same person anymore if I do this or I won't have the same level of comfort if I do this and so on and so forth. And so that might not be gut feeling. That might literally just be fear. 
right? Because you we don't know. That's the truth. Like you get the gut feeling of this is scary or maybe I shouldn't do this or whatever. And then you think it through. Like, why is this scary? Well, because I've never done this before. Okay, but do I want to take my life in that direction? Yes. Okay, well, then at one point I need to make this step. So why not now? Why, why later, right? So let me get the data of why now or why not now, right? Pros and cons and so on and so forth. Yeah, beautifully said. And something definitely I've tried to approach in my work and will continue to do so. So great to hear from a great mind like yourself by supporting that point. Another thing that you said that I thought was really interesting is around a hot topic these days, which is the quote unquote work-life balance. And I think people personally try really hard to achieve this when in reality, I think a lot of it's just about figuring it out and being at peace with kind of the chaos. Um, But one of the things that you said that I thought was really insightful is that it's best to have imbalance. Can you elaborate on why you think that's the case? Because um, you you can have balance, yin and yang, not necessarily on a day-by-day basis. You can have balance in life, as in like the previous example we gave, work intensely for three weeks and then take off in a full week, like a full week every month. Imagine, that would mean you take off 12 weeks a year, not 12 days, 12 weeks a year you take off if you work incredibly intensely for three weeks and then take a break take a, a vacation for three weeks that's great uh, for for one week that's great and then you come back and so on so you can achieve balance and i highly recommend people get work-life balance but not the way people talk about it in the day-to-day you don't need every single day to do yoga and every single day to read 10 pages and every single day to meditate and every single day to spend time with your family and every single day to whatever people come up with. You don't need to do that every single day, right? I go to the gym a few times a week, right? And I schedule it. I have it in my agenda when I go to the gym. I don't need to go every single day. (laughs) I, I still have a six pack. I still look amazing, right? And I don't need to go every day. Because guess what? Some mornings, maybe we have a family event. Like this this uh, Sunday, for example. We had family over. We had to prepare. We had to do things. I mean, we didn't have to, but we wanted to, right? This is something we wanted to do. So obviously, I couldn't go to uh, the gym because they only open at whatever, 9 a.m. And by 9 a.m., like by 10 a.m., we already had people coming over to the house, right? So it would have been weird because they, by the time they would have been over, I would have been in the shower or not even home yet, right? So I said, let me skip it. Let me go Monday. And that's it. I went Monday. Easy. Very, very easy. So if you work on getting balance across weeks or months, it's so much better than, mm. than trying to have work-life balance on a day-by-day because that will just exhaust you, I believe. In most cases, it will be exhausting for most people because life isn't robotic in that way yeah for sure and i definitely agree with you in the sense that a lot of times the more we try to have strict rules in place at times while some things in life it's good to kind of block out like family time or kind of you know time to remain sanity that aside if you strictly try to schedule your day block by block by block every single day it's interesting that that's what you get tired from but when you in a way embrace the chaos and embrace that you might have some routine, but also accept that stuff comes up. It's really when you're energized. So yes. I think a really interesting point there. And speaking of points, you know, I know I'm speaking a lot about some of the writing and some of the content you speak out. Uh, but I thought a topic that I thought was really interesting that I had to bring up. You actually have a blog titled Wealth is the Most Important Thing. How did you come up with, that, with the title for that blog? 
well, because I define wealth as um, co complete abundance and you know fulfillment in all areas of your life that are important to you. So real wealth, you can tell when someone's really wealthy. They're not complaining about anything. They are not angry about anything, right? Uh, they don't get angry. They don't get triggered by things. They're literally people at peace. Like you have conversations with them. They're like, oh, okay, this is, this is fine, right? Like they, they're almost untouchable. They have what you would call mental fortitude because you attain mental fortitude by being wealthy. By knowing that no matter what you say, I still have all of the money I need in my bank account. It doesn't matter what you say, right? No matter what you say, I know I'm healthy. I have all of my vitals checked every uh, three to six months, depends, right? I know I look in the mirror, I'm very happy with myself. I know I, I have an amazing relationship, both um, mentally, you know, satisfying. Like we have great conversations, intimately satisfying uh, in terms of goals and so on and so forth, aspirations, values, you know, very aligned and so on and so forth. So when I look at my life and I see that every single piece of the puzzle is just there, it's such a beautiful picture. And when you have that picture in your mind every single day, when you wake up, when you go to bed during the day, it's like very few things can actually bring you down. And so that's why attaining this level of wealth is, I believe, the most important thing you can do because then everything we've talked about today, you have. You have the balance of the holistic view of your life. You have adding value to society. You have enjoying yourself. You have every single thing that you would want, like anyone would dream of in their life, they can have. And so part of that is financial because you can't be wealthy truly without money. There are yes. very few people that can achieve that. And those are, you know, monks or whatever. Even mm. those guys need to buy bread sometime. And so they live off donations or whatever, you know, they do. But so they still have some form of an economy. That, that's my point. Like if, even if they barter, even if they, you know, grow apples and then sell the apples for spinach, I don't know, making it up, but you would still need some form of currency and economy to survive, right? The only difference is that I feel much better when I know the next five years of my expenses are already in my bank account, right? It's just for me, I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm very happy with that. I could just live and do whatever I want every day because nothing I do today has an immediate impact on my family. Nothing I do in the next two years has an immediate impact on my family. Like, it's just, I can do whatever I want all day. And so this level of wealth is amazing. And you can attain this even with being an employee. Because you can learn how to save money, how to invest money, how to, you know, be mindful with your cash and, and do what you actually need to do with it so that you don't have an issue. If you lose your job, fine, I have five years worth of savings here, right? And again, you don't need to be an entrepreneur for that. You can do it any in any career you want. Yep, for sure. And I like the way that you mentioned wealth and your specific definition. Obviously, we live in a practical world. We all need means to survive. But also being able to kind of do all those things that we love and being healthy and having those relationships. So definitely in agreement with you on there. Um, on a little bit of a different note, I thought this was really funny when I was just kind of doing some research and preparing for the episode. Uh, you have on your LinkedIn under your degrees, trust me, I'm, I'm an engineer and trust me, I manage engineers. Where did that come from? I just thought that was so funny uh, reading those descriptions. So 
I'm a civil engineer for quite a while now, um, and I wanted to be an engineer since I was 10 years old. And so in, in our world, and many people have heard this, you know, trust me, I'm an engineer. And so then I did my master's degree. Uh, and so when I, when I get, got my bachelor's, I said that on my profile, you know, like I'm an engineer now, so I can say, trust me, I'm an engineer. And then I got my master's degree, which is project management in IT, so project management in technology. And then I looked at, trust me, I'm an engineer, and I said, I need to come up with something smarter. And then I said, oh, trust me, I manage engineers now. So I'm at the second level of trust, you know? And so and no one picked on that. So Daniel, that's fantastic. No, I never has someone told me that they read that. You're the first person in like 10 years since I wrote that. I don't know. <laughs> Look, man, I'm, okay. I'm, I, ask, I ask questions for a living. I like to ask good stuff. So I make sure to do my research. So really happy, to, happy that you're able to touch upon that. And I think in a funny way, but also a practical way, it's always the simple solutions or trying to do the simple things to fix something. You know, someone could write out 17 different things when you were like, I studied how to be an engineer. Now I'm a master of engineers. Yeah, I manage engineers. So <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was funny for sure. Yeah. Um, a few other really fun questions I had that I think you'll really enjoy answering. And we'll definitely kind of put a few things into perspective. Uh, but earlier you mentioned your childhood and growing up on a farm and just the joy you had and a lot of the things that you remembered. You know, looking back at all the time that's passed now, is there something that you wish you knew that when you were younger? I wish I would have um, focused more on the financial side of what um, of what I was doing because I was very focused on other sides of it. However, um, I realized that I really attained the level of holistic wealth in my life after I became a multimillionaire. Right? It's, it's like when you're not in the rat race anymore, when you're literally say, when you say, okay, well, just my real estate assets are worth a million dollars, you know, and, you know, cash in the bank and businesses that I could sell at any time and so on and so forth. Um, and that are, you know, just cash flowing, just making money every month. You're, you, you think um, if I could have had this and I could have had this at least five years earlier, if not 10 years earlier, 10, maybe stretching it a little bit because I am still quite young, but five years at least earlier, number one. And then number two is to not think that people are ultimately good. I used to believe that people are ultimately good. Now I know that there are people that are literally um, clinically have issues, mental issues, right? And you see them in movies. You see the psychopaths in movies. You see the narcissists. You see them. Those are mental issues right? Real clinical mental issues. So if you have the misfortune to work with someone like that, they do not operate on normal human logic. They operate on their own little bubble of fictional logic. Mm -hmm. And so I've had the misfortune to work with people like that, that don't see reason, don't understand reason. Like you, you can have as many conversations with them as you want, but that's the definition of a psychopath or a nar narcissist. They they don't hear you. Like you you tell them things and they, the information doesn't go into their brain because their ego is so large and they're it just muffles everything you say and the, the only thing they hear 
is whatever is in their favor to either victimize themselves, to point fingers at something else, to whatever. And so I've lost so much time and resources and neurons and relationships, right, for disappointing third parties in, you know, like, because when I have to work with a psychopath and then there's another person that we're working with, you know, you cannot but have a negative feeling towards everything that just happened there, right? And so you lose brownie points, whatever you want to call them, you know, social clout when things like that happen. So um, if I would learn those two things or if I would know those two things, it would save me a lot of time because I genuinely believe Every single person ultimately has good intention. I don't believe that anymore. I do believe that there are people that can't wait to steal from me. I kid you. Like, and there's so many out there. I can't believe how naive I was. There's so many people that you know steal money from your bank account, the scammers, and then celebrate their success of stealing your money, right? And I'm like, why? That makes no sense to me. Like, like that's so bad. And there's millions of them. Right now, I know. Now I'm, you know, I'm in my thirties. I'm not naive anymore. Like I'm still naive in other ways, but I'm not, you know, the twenty-year-old, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, of, you know, this is all can be good and peaceful and so on and whatever, you know, or Gandhi or whatever. I do believe what Gandhi said that an eye for an eye and the entire world goes blind. So if you do wrong unto me, that doesn't mean that I should do wrong unto you. It just means that I'll never work with you again. Or if I ever will, you now have to make up for lost ground. Like you need to give me money or do something. You know, because if I lost 50 grand working Mm -hmm. with you, now you need to make me 50 grand back. And there is no other discussion. If they want anything else they have to do with me, first let's get to ground zero and then we can do something else if you want to, right? And so, um, because I do believe in second chances, third chances, I believe in giving people as many chances as humanly possible because why not you know god gives you a million chances every day he gives you a chance every day you sin yet he still gives you another chance to wake up tomorrow right so obviously that's the ultimate form of love so yes i'll give you another chance however in my books you're 50 grand under so you need to make me now 50 grand and then after that we can you know work on something else or whatever right and so um just logic just simple logic so if I would know those two things, I would have made more money, be happier, um, work with less narcissists, and you know, just be again, just my entire life would have um gotten, let's say, easier more ahead. Or more in, ahead in this yeah, in this time frame, right? Because I, I would have worked the same. It's just the difference is instead of being at ten million, I would be maybe at fifty or hundred million by now, right? And with people that deserve my company and my attention. Yep. I like the way that you put that in the sense that, you know, people screw up, life happens, but you have to be a little on guard for those people that just kind of have bad intentions. And as much as we hate to admit it, that those kind of things exist. So I definitely think that's great advice and something that someone should really drill into their head. You know, not saying that people shouldn't be open, honest, have great conversation, but always in the back of your head, try to you know, I know we spoke in intuition earlier, but go with your gut if someone's intentions are, are really honest or not. So really great point on that. Uh, another thing, you know, I see you have a lot of books behind you. Is there a favorite book that you've had or one that's been really influential in your life? There are many. Um, I can say a few. Um, I really liked uh, The Success Principles from Jack Canfield. 
very very good book it's i i believe it everyone on the planet should read that um i think i've sold it at least a thousand times until now but i should probably ask for a referral or something but it's so i really think everyone should read it it's a very good book um and then everything else basically depends on what you want to do right so i've read great books on um on productivity because i care about being productive so i like that i read great books on management because i like management i read great books on accounting or finance because you know i want to do that leadership is another thing um i feel that as long as you go in a direction that is aligned with what you think you want to do learning more about that being more involved in that trying to make money from that or whatever it is is almost never in your disservice because then you're testing goals you're you know you're testing things to see how they go um there are many other books i mean i have i have the bible here near me all the time you know just to remember to be ethical in anything i do right to follow the golden rule do not do unto others what you would not like done unto you right and so on and so forth. Great book. I think you can learn a lot from it. Uh, I've read it twice already. Um, great wisdom in Stoicism. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything you can write about, read, sorry, about Stoicism. Marcus Aurelius is great. I have him here as well. Um, what else do I have? Let me remember. Oh, Have a New You by Friday. Amazing book uh, by this uh, Dr. Lehman, Kevin Lehman, I believe. Very, very good. Uh, oh, I loved reading Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was younger. Such an easy read. I loved it. It was so easy to read. Um, it, uh, I learned so much. I don't know. Just I don't want to recommend too many because I want people to read what they like. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed Money from Tony Robbins. Um, I like, for example, I picked up The Intelligent Investor because Warren Buffett said that uh, that's the guy that he learned from. It's a big and, book. Yeah, exactly. But I just couldn't read it. It's just so boring to me, you know, to read. I read a little bit about it and then I just couldn't read any because it just mm-hmm. doesn't do it for me. So that's why I'm a little bit reticent when people ask because it's like not universally applicable. So what I like, you know, um, like I buy every book Ben Hardy uh, publishes because mm-hmm. I just like the guy and I was there when he was just starting out, like when he was writing his first blog articles, when he was no one, I was there, you know, commenting, you know, buying his first little wannabe book and then the second one and so on. And it's just a habit I have. Um, I don't know, just great people that you resonate with, just buy their books, right? Invest, uh, whatever, $10, $20, or buy the Kindle for like nothing, <laughs> right? And then, and then do that. Um, and then, uh, it's just something that you can keep going down on. The success principles I recommend because it's general mm-hmm. knowledge. It's it's 67, I believe, principles. And some of them are with um, decide, being decisive. Some of them are with taking responsibility. Others are about finances. Others are about how to make progress towards goals that you, know, you might find unachievable mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So it's just a great general read. And everything else is probably things that you should naturally, instinctively, right, levitate towards and then just pick up those and start reading. It's a great note. I think personally, I probably gravitate towards narratives since I kind of tell stories, 
for a living. So really interesting to hear that. And on a side note, if you want to learn more about finance, but in a less dry or practical way, so I haven't read The Intelligent Investor, but it's on my list. Um, but I've been fortunate enough to read a few of Peter Lynch's books, former guy who managed a big fund at Fidelity. He's a really practical, you know, a few of his books would definitely uh, recommend, but interesting to hear about those kind of influential books and decisions. Um, you know, on a quick note, has there been anyone that's been really influential in your life that you're thankful for? Oh, so many people, hundreds of people. My mother, very, very influential, amazing person. I've learned a ton from her. My father, I've learned uh, from my aunt. Um, my brother, I've learned from um, my language teacher, my English teacher, my physics teacher. Um, the teachers, my, the life leaders. The teachers, yes, exactly. Uh, so many people, like uh, a lot, a lot of individuals. I Literally, I can say hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins, uh, Robin Sharma. Um, who else? Um, Aaron Young, um, Kevin Lehman, um, Ben Hardy. Uh, I don't know, just so many, and and I get th these are some names that are bigger, right? Or people that have gone past, you know, like Napoleon Hill or Dale Carnegie, right? Or uh, 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 John D. Rockefeller, right? And so on and so forth. There's just so many people that have influenced me over the years that I'm incredibly grateful for. If I would spend time actually mentioning all of their names every day, I would do nothing else, just mention names all day. You know, get nothing else done. There are so many. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to actually read Napoleon Hill's book, Thinking Grow Rich, but really cool to hear about all the people that have been really influential. Uh, one more note regarding people. Do you have a dream dinner guest, dead or alive, that you'd love to get dinner with? Um, I mean, this might sound weird, but uh, um, I do. If I have the chance to spend time with or more time with someone, I would have dinner with my mom because you know it's cool. just I don't know it's just um, right. yes I mean I can't spend more enough time with her that's my problem like like there's so many things to do I cannot spend more time mm -hmm. right it's just my life wouldn't be in balance anymore if I would spend more time with her but every single week I spend time with her a few hours um, and I just love it and. Um, if I would, I were to choose one person, yes, I could, let's say, have a dinner with Tony Robbins and ask him about every single way in which I could be more successful and whatever, or with Ray Dalio, ask him about the principles or whatever, right? At the end of the day, I can meet those people either way. And if I never meet them, I will still be happy. But if I would, for any reason, stop meeting my mom, I'd be very sad for a very long time. Right, because I I don't want that. I would wish she would outlive me. Sorry, no, I don't want to die early. But you get my point. Like I would wish like she wouldn't pass. Uh, but I know she'll pass at one point, and so I'm enjoying every moment. That's beautiful. Okay. And shout out to all the mothers out there. Um, what would you say brings you pure happiness in life? Right now, what brings me most happiness is uh, cuddling with my wife. This, this is the thing I love most. Um, we cuddle every morning uh, for half an hour to an hour. We cuddle midday after lunch. 
for half an hour to an hour, and we cuddle in the night. Uh, and it's the best hours I spend in my day. I love that answer, and I love the transparency and honesty there that you gave there. Um, but you know, Robert, you've kind of been able to share a wealth of wisdom, some awesome stories, an awesome life, and I'm sure you're going to kind of keep on keeping on. Um, but as you mentioned, at some point, we all pass. So on a parting note, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, my gosh. I was not expecting that question. What do I want to be remembered for? <laughs> Got to expect the unexpected these days. <laughs> Let me, let me, let me tell you that on another episode uh, because right. I have something in the works right now that I want to be remembered for, yeah. but it's still in the shadows. We're raising investment, um, so if anyone wants to, you know, uh, anyone listening wants to invest in in a business, then uh, they can let me know. But basically, that is something that I, I believe will leave a, an enormous positive impact on the planet. That's great. And, uh, you know, eager to hear what that is. And I guess one day, hopefully when I'm at episode 140 or 540, we'll have to kind of have another episode dedicated to that. I'd love that answer, Robert. You know, it was an awesome conversation and really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, likewise, thank you so much. These have been amazing questions. This, I can say this is one of the best, if not the best podcast I've ever been on. Well done, Daniel. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Robert Indries. If you enjoyed the episode, rate the show on Spotify, drop a comment on YouTube, and subscribe.